So this morning, we will be looking at a, a message that is New Year's themed. I don't know how many of you are already thinking about resolutions and have had time to reflect on 2017, look ahead to 2018, but this passage from 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, came to mind for me as a great passage for us to spend some time in, to think about the year that was, and to spend some time looking ahead. This is the Apostle Paul's final letter. These are really his last living words that we have recorded. And so we're going to spend some time looking at this passage, and we'll be asking ourselves six different questions that I see this passage calling us to reflect on and to consider whenever we consider new starts or whenever we are looking back at a finish line in life. I want to start by sharing a story. When I was a freshman uh, in college at the University of Florida, go Gators, just have to, have to get that in there anytime I mention that. Now, when I was a freshman, I was just starting off, I got involved in this small group Bible study. It was led by a campus minister uh, with crew or Campus Crusade for Christ. So I was just kind of getting to know what was going on with this small group. I was getting to know this leader. And he was very energetic. He's very creative. He was always trying to find ways to drive home the point of the lesson that he was uh, trying to teach us. So one day, before we arrived at this small group study, he said, today I want to do something different. I want everybody to bring a flashlight with you to this small group. You're like, okay, flashlight, that's interesting. So we all get there. There are about eight or ten of us guys, and we show up, and he says, okay, we're all going to be piling in my minivan, and we're going to go on a field trip for this, for this study. So he takes us out, he drives us past, past the, the campus part of Gainesville there in Florida, and he drives us out kind of to the outskirts of town, and we stop, and it's really dark, and we have no idea where we are or what's going on, and we get out, and we realize that we're at a graveyard. And so we're kind of looking at each other going, what is happening? This is like the fifth or sixth time that I've you know, spend time with this guy. Is he like taking us out here to kill us or what's happening? But he just says, okay, you guys got your flashlight. I want you just to walk around and just stroll through a graveyard at night. Everybody's idea of a good time, right? And he just says, just read the, um, read the tombstones, anything that you can find, and just make observations. And so I remember as we were going through and we were looking at the dates there in the cemetery on the tombstones. And some people had lived a very long life, 90 plus years. And some tombstones uh, were for people who had just lived a day or a week. So we got back together and we kind of felt like, okay, we know somewhat probably where this is going, but he got our attention for sure. And he, he, he got us there and he just, he gathered us together and he said, this is really what I want to talk about tonight, really one simple point, that your life is just one life right now, this current life you're living, your life is a life that will extend forward beyond this world into eternity. So even this present life, he said, is just one dot on an infinite line that stretches forever. 
And so I remember thinking as an 18-year-old, I was like, wow, I wasn't thinking about death. I wasn't even thinking about graduating. I was just thinking about having a good time and being in college and that sort of thing. But it gave me perspective. And he was trying to tell us that we should live our lives now with the end in mind, that we should live now to finish well. And I think 2 Timothy Especially this passage that we just read, it gets our attention in the same way. Like I mentioned, 2 Timothy, it's, it's the Apostle Paul's last letter. He's in prison. He's writing uh, to his disciple, his protege, his trainee, Timothy. And what we have here are the last surviving words of the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this letter to Timothy to give him an example, to leave him with a model of what he learned, of how he lived, and how he was able to look back on his life and get to this point and say, I finished well. One day, Timothy, I want you to be able to say the same thing. So as, as Paul looks back on his life and he reflects on his life, I think he's also inviting us to imagine that ourselves, to think about the finish lines in life. There's the ultimate finish line when our time is nearing when we will pass from this earth. But there are also many other finish lines along the way. There's the finish line of 2017, looking to 2018. There's looking ahead when those of you who have kids will send them off to college. There's your 40th wedding anniversary, your 80th birthday, or whatever it might be. As you're looking at these finish lines, what does it mean to get to those finish lines and then to look back and be able to say, I finished well. So I want to look at six questions based on Paul's closing words as we finish the year. And perhaps we have other endings and new beginnings, other finish lines that are a part of our lives right now. And as we prepare to look ahead so that we might be living now in order to finish well. So first question. First question is, what's my charge? What is my God-given purpose in this season of life? Paul wanted Timothy to live his entire life with a sense of being charged with a purpose from God. He wanted T Timothy to have that focus, to have that conviction that he'd been given this charge from, from God. And this, this kind of focus, this kind of conviction is essential to being able to finish well. Now, our charge is not the, the same as Timothy's. Timothy he was a pastor, he was Paul's successor, but the way Paul reminds Timothy of his charge, I think, is very instructive for all of us. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This wasn't the only time that Paul had used this very solemn, oath-like language when he was writing to Timothy. In 1 Timothy, the first letter Paul wrote to Timothy, chapter 5, and in chapter 6, he uses the same language. In 1 Timothy 6.13, it's very similar. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. And he goes on to charge him there. And so first, as we're looking at this, we see that this is a repeated charge that Paul had given Timothy. And as we're thinking about this question, what's my charge? I think it's important for us to realize that this is a repeated charge exercise for us. 
refocusing and discerning our God-given charge, it's not just a one-time thing, but it's something where we often need to step back and be reminded and to ask, where am I not aligned with what God has called me to do? Where am I not sure about the charge God has given me in this season of my life? In this season of my life, as things have changed, what is the charge? What is the purpose that God has given me? So it's a repeated charge. Secondly, we see Paul says, this is a charge that I'm making in the presence of God. He's reminding Timothy of really the most basic of Christian beliefs, that God is real, that God exists, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is present. And these are things that Timothy already knew. He was a pastor. He taught people about these things. He was wanting to convince people these things were true. But when Paul charges Timothy and says, remember your charge, remember your purpose, remember your calling, he starts with the very basics. And I think that's because in the day-to-day grind of our lives, when we're fulfilling our duties, when we're going about the things that we need to do, often the reality of the presence of God begins to feel further and further and further away from our lives. And there is a tendency in all of us to slide into what we might call a practical deism, that God is there, He's out there, but what does He really have to do with the everyday concerns and duties of my life? And Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus. Remember, God the Father, the Son, the Spirit is present in every part of your life. And so in order for us to find our charge from Him, to find our purpose, to be reminded and to recall the charge we've been given by God, we need to open up our entire lives to His presence. Church life, home life, work life, marriage life, economic life, relational life, emotional life, all of life. The entire Christian life has been summed up In the 16th century, there was a phrase that was used to sum this up, and it was coram Deo, meaning before the face of God, or living all of life in the presence of God, that God is involved in every aspect of our life in this world. Most people, for most of us, living out our charge from God, it doesn't involve any radical changes to what we're doing. But instead, it involves living with a greater awareness of the presence of God in what we're already doing. And so as we're thinking about our charge, we ask, where do I need to live more coram Deo, more aware of the presence of God? The third thing we see from this charge that Paul gives to Timothy is he charges Timothy in light of God's plan for history. He says, Jesus, he's going to return. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He's going to bring his kingdom of perfect justice and full restoration into reality. Again, sometimes in the grind of day-to-day life, when we're doing our to-do list, when we're going about our duties, when we're caring for our needs in a beautiful place like Orange County where there's so much to do, we can become practical materialists. Where we're living our lives like this life is all there is. Paul is saying to Timothy and to us to finish well, to look at our lives from the vantage point of eternity, 
to look at our lives from the vantage point of all things being made new by Jesus, that's the vantage point where we have the clearest view as to what God is charging us with, how He's charging and calling us to live according to His purpose. So a quick application, an encouragement. Maybe sometime today, the last day of the year, maybe sometime tomorrow, the first day of the year, spend time in the presence of God, becoming aware of His presence in all of your life. And in light of His purposes, in light of His kingdom, ask, what is my charge? That's the first question. What is my charge? Secondly, how am I listening? We see in verses 2 through 5 here in chapter 4 that Timothy, his main charge, his main calling was to make the Bible central to people's lives so that they'd be shaped and they'd be directed by God's Word and be made spiritually healthy. They'd be spiritually whole. Paul's phrase for this is sound teaching or sound doctrine. The word sound could be translated healthy or wholesome. And what Paul says here to Timothy as application beyond those who are called to preach and teach, to anyone who wants to experience the Bible's power to bring wholeness and health to us and through us to other people. To finish well, we need to pay attention to how we are listening to Scripture in every part and in every season of our lives. There's two, there's two ways we need to think about our listening. The first is, is it consistent listening? Paul tells Timothy, we need to preach, the, he tells Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. And there's a consistency that he's talking about there. When it's convenient to listen to the word, when it's inconvenient. In all seasons of life, make the word central. And I know for many of us, we're in seasons of life where we struggle to figure out, how do I take Scripture into my life? I'm barely just going through the motions of every day, going on repeat. I'm struggling to find a way to bring the Word of God into my life. And there's an encouragement here from Timothy and a challenge from 2 Timothy that we do need to regularly adjust and evaluate to find ways to make the Word of God the central voice in our lives. To find a way, in season and out of season, it's going to change depending on the season of life you're in, to bring the Word of God, to take in the Word of God, to be listening to the Word of God consistently. Is it a consistent listening? And secondly, is it a comprehensive listening? Earlier in in chapter 3, Paul says, All Scripture... Every bit of it, every verse, every section of Scripture is inspired and profitable. It's what we need to be equipped for the work that God gives us to do. But our tendency is to tune out what is healthy, what we need to hear, in favor of listening to what we want to hear. And so we can ask ourselves, we can give ourselves a test. If we like everything, if we agree with everything, if we find it easy and comfortable and suitable, everything that we're reading and taking into our lives when it comes to Scripture, it's almost certain that we're exercising selective hearing, that we're listening to a God and a Bible of our own making, a cut-and-paste kind of Bible. Because as Paul reminds Timothy here, we need to be listening and engaging with the parts of the Bible that reprove us and rebuke us as well as to those parts of Scripture that comfort us and encourage us. 
But in order to have a consistent and a comprehensive listening to Scripture, I think we need to have three things. We need to have a plan, we need to have a community, and we need to have a submissive posture to Scripture. We need to have a plan that takes us through all of Scripture. We need to have a community that helps us be accountable and consistent. And we need to be submissive to all that God has revealed to us in the Scriptures. And so I'm going to make just a little side advertisement here and another plug for our CBR Bible reading plan. This is our way. This is our tool. This is a way that you can apply this passage to consistently listen to all of Scripture as we're reading it together in community. So what's my charge? How am I listening? And thirdly, the third question we're encouraged to ask, am I looking to pour out or fill up? In verse 6, for the first time in 2 Timothy, in this letter, Paul directly tells Timothy he expects that he has very little time to live on this earth. He's in prison in Rome. He's already had his first trial. And this time, somehow Paul knows he won't be released, that this is the end for him. He'll be put to death for spreading the message of Jesus and planting churches throughout the Roman Empire. So, so he sees his finish line. It's very real. It's right there on the horizon. Death is coming. And in verse 6, Paul uses this very significant picture to describe his life and the end of his life. He says, I'm already, now I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And what's interesting is that Paul used this very same picture the last time he was in prison in Rome, in Philippians. He wasn't sure whether he'd make it out. And during that imprisonment, he wrote the letter to the Philippians. And in chapter 2, verse 17 of Philippians, he says, Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. And I rejoice with you all. So when Paul's thinking about the impact of his life, he's thinking about the end of his life, he's at the finish line, he's looking back. Finishing well, he says, means being able to say, when the finish line is near, that I poured myself out as a drink offering. What is going on? What's that image from? It's an image from the Old Testament sacrificial system that when there was a sacrifice made of an animal, along with that sacrifice, a cup of wine would be poured out. And it wasn't just a small cup of wine. It wasn't just a tiny glass like we might use in communion. It was a whole quart of wine. And so that was a lot of wine being poured out as a sacrifice. And it was a lesson that in order for us to have life from God, life with God as He intended, that our life needs to be poured out, it needs to be given away, that there's a cost and a sacrifice. And as we pour out, that doesn't drain us, but it, in fact it fills us with joy and purpose. Now, I think it's significant. Paul doesn't say when he's getting to the end of his life, he says, I live life to the fullest. I traveled all over Greece and the Mediterranean world. I planted dozens of churches. I published my best letters I accomplished my dreams, so now I can go in peace. He doesn't mention any of that. Instead, he says, I live a poured out life. I gave my life away so others could have life as God intended. 
think this helps us as we're thinking of finish lines, as we're thinking about what it means to live well and finish well, that the things that we do now that we'll, we'll be the most proud of, that will mean the most to us whenever we get to a finish line in life, are not all the ways that we're trying to fill ourselves up and gain for ourselves, but the ways that we've poured out our lives for others. So we're encouraged to ask, am I looking to pour out or fill up? Fourth question that we can ask at life's finish lines, am I fighting the right fight? And verse 7 might be one of the most well-known verses in Paul's letters. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. And here we have, in essence, Paul's epitaph. It's what he probably would want on his tombstone, how he wanted to be remembered. I remember being, being a part of a study and a pastor was sharing that one way that we can gain perspective on our lives is to think about our current self talking to our younger self. We say, now, being where I'm at and the lessons I've learned, if I were to talk to myself 10 years ago or 20 years ago, what would I say? What kind of advice would I give myself? I picture the Apostle Paul in verse 7 saying, if I could talk to my younger self, the younger Paul, here's what I'd say. I'd say, Paul, it's a fight to the end. And Paul, don't fight the wrong fights. Say, it's a fight to the end. It's interesting that Paul didn't say, I won my fight. I got first place in the race. I got the gold medal. I've spread the faith all over the world. If anyone could have said these things, the Apostle Paul could have. But instead, he says, I never stopped fighting. I never stopped running. I finished. I kept the faith. That's a life well lived. He says, that's finishing well. The first Greek words I ever learned, I know it's kind of like a Bible geek kind of thing to remember that, but I remember the first Greek words I ever learned were the words for fight or fighting, the words here in, in 2 Timothy 4.7, agon, or agonizomai, where we get the word agonize. The Apostle Paul, who's one of the most mature Christians of all time, says here, I'm almost done with life, and as I look back on my life, I never arrive. It never was easy. I never just coasted. Henry Nouwen, I think I have this quote to display. He said, he who thinks that he has finished is finished. Those who think they have arrived have lost their way. That's an important reminder because we can get discouraged, extremely discouraged if we have the wrong idea of what a mature spiritual life is like. We can beat ourselves up and say, why am I still struggling after all these years? Why am I wrestling with doubt? Why am I fighting the same sin and issues that I have been for years? Why is it so hard to pray? Why is it so hard to figure out how to read Scripture and to listen to it consistently? Why is my marriage still struggling? Why am I still struggling with the same things? And we think if we are a good Christian, it would be easier. We wouldn't struggle so much. Paul is telling us as he gets to the finish line of his life that this is wrong. That though there will be seasons of growth and peace and celebration, that running and fighting and enduring, these are the signs of authentic Christian life and a mature Christian life. So the struggling, the wrestling, that should not concern us. But instead, indifference and apathy, those are the danger signs for us to watch out for. 
Paul says, keep fighting. He says, fight the right fight. When, when Paul says, I have fought the good fight, the word good there can be translated noble or right. And Paul is saying, in essence, I fought the right fights. As I look back in my life, I can say I fought the right fights. And that means it's possible for us to fight the wrong fights and to pick the wrong battles. I've shared this before, but before we had kids and even before I got married, before we got married, I remember people saying to me in both, both situations, in marriage, remember to pick the right battles, fight the right battles. And when parenting, the same thing, pick your battles. Because if you don't, it can be a constant, never-ending conflict and power struggle. One of the things that often turns people off to Jesus and Christianity is how Christians can be guilty of fighting the wrong battles. Fighting political battles, fighting battles in the media, battles with other Christians, battles with other churches. And this is a challenge for all of us to ask ourselves, are there battles that I'm fighting today that aren't worth it? Am I fighting the wrong battles? At our life's finish lines, whether it's in our parenting, in our families, in marriage, in workplace, and in life, we want to be able to say, I fought. So I myself and the people God has put in my life would be drawn to Jesus and be encouraged to endure in fighting and following for him. That's the right fight. So Paul says, ask yourself, am I fighting the right fight? Fifth question, am I trying to do it alone? You'll see printed in your bulletin, there's, there's an extra passage printed for reference. That's the last part of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in those verses, if you just glance at them in your bulletin, Paul mentions 17 different people. Fifteen out of those 17 are his faithful friends. One of them, named Alexander, was an opponent, possibly somebody who got him arrested. One was a guy named Demas who had deserted him. But the other 15 were his team. And what we see from this list, a couple things. First, that if following Jesus requires endurance, endurance requires community. Endurance requires friends. There are two main reasons why Paul wrote the letter 2 Timothy. The first was to leave behind for Timothy a legacy of focused gospel ministry for him to build his ministry on the rest of his life. But the second main reason that Paul wrote this letter was so that Timothy would come and visit him in prison. It was because he was lonely and he needed companionship. He says it in verse 9, 11, and 21, come, come, Timothy. It was just Paul and Luke and he really wanted Timothy to come before winter because he knew that he was going to die. His final trial awaited him, and he wanted the support of his good friend. Even the great apostle Paul needed the ministry of presence. He needed his friends. He says to Timothy, bring me my books. I don't know why, that, why he needed those books, but a pastor always wants to have his books. But he says, bring me my parchments. So we could be together, so we could pray together, so we can keep studying together. And Timothy had all kinds of important things that Paul said, do these things in your ministry, in your life. These are urgent matters. But he said, put all those on hold because I need you to be with me. Following Jesus requires endurance. 
and endurance requires community. So finishing well means building and investing time in friendships. And those who need your help to endure and those to whom you can help offer support and encouragement as they need to endure. The second lesson we learn from this list of friends is we can do more together than we could ever do alone. Paul's team here, these folks listed, this is an all-star lineup. Some we don't know much about their lives, but others we know a lot about. Luke, who's mentioned here, he wrote one-third of the New Testament. Mark, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. He was a leader of the church in North Africa. Linus, who's mentioned, he became a bishop in Rome. Titus was a leader in Crete. Prisca and Aquila were the dynamic duo husband and wife team in Acts. Tychicus became the bishop in Cyprus. And what we see from this is that friendship and partnership multiplies the blessing and the impact of the gospel. And it helps us discover and know our gifts and the charge that God has given to us to serve in his kingdom. Would Luke have written a gospel and the only record of the early church apart from his friendship with Paul? Would Mark have written his gospel apart from the reconciliation he had with Paul? Would Lucius have been a bishop at Rome without Paul's influence? Would Paul have been able to plant churches, write his letters, and leave his legacy without his friends? I don't know if we can answer those questions for certain, but I think the answer is no. They needed partnership. They needed each other. And so a question that we can ask ourselves as we're coming to the end of the year is, how can I invest intentionally? in relationships that will draw me closer to Jesus. Last question. What do I want to leave people with? Am I clear on what I want to leave people with? Since 2 Timothy is the very last letter that Paul wrote, we can take all his letters and look at them as a whole and say, okay, what are the patterns we see? And one pattern we see is that in every single letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he began and he ended in the same way. He usually begins grace and peace to you, but he always ends with grace. Here, the very last words of the Apostle Paul are, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. There's slight variations, but never once did he fail to end with giving a blessing, giving a benediction that grace would be with the people to whom he wrote. I think that's significant. Out of all the situations that Paul was writing to, all the churches, all the people, he knew what he wanted to be the last thing that they heard, the last thing that he wanted to be on their minds, no matter what they were going through, no matter what they were facing, was grace. And I think there's a consistency here. There's an intentionality that this just wasn't an afterthought where Paul was signing off and he was like sincerely or regards the Apostle Paul. That Paul was being very specific. That he wanted echoing in the minds and the hearts of everyone who read anything he wrote to be grace. I want to read a quote from Tim Chester. He says this about grace. If we think of ourselves only as failed sinners, then we may, we may feel disqualified from Christian service and settle for a compromised life. But you are a justified saint, equipped for battle, capable of adventurous, risky discipleship on the front lines of God's kingdom. 
Sin is never the last word for the children of God. Grace is always the last word. So I just want to end with that. When evaluating our lives, when reflecting on the finished lives, the finished lines of life, when we're thinking about resolutions or changes to our lives, we need to make sure that we begin and end with grace. That the only resolutions that will last, the only changes that we make that will keep are those changes not made to earn God's blessing, God's favor, or God's approval, but those changes and resolutions we make because we already have God's blessing, God's approval, and God's favor in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12 the author of Hebrews is talking about the race of life. He's talking about the life of faith. He says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that when we fight, we fight in the victory already won for us by Jesus. When we run, we run the race that Jesus has already finished. And to know that He is waiting for us at the ultimate finish line with joy to welcome us into His presence and to be made complete be made whole by Him. So as we're thinking of those six questions, let's make sure that we always begin and end with grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these markers in the calendar, markers in our lives that often move us to take some time to step back and to look at our lives. And as we're doing that, as we're listening to this letter from the Apostle Paul, as we're thinking about the events that happened in our lives this past year and looking ahead to the new year, I pray that you would meet us you would meet us as we ask these questions. You would saturate us and soak us in your grace. That we would be reminded of the central gift that we've been given in the gospel. And out of that gift, that we would live our lives as a response. So by your Spirit, bring to mind the things you want us to change. The things you want us to look at. And in your grace, empower us and strengthen us to follow you more faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.